countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, it is now time for more of the last comic shop. That's right, we are dusting off the long boxes and diving in to get all the newbies caught up on everything they need to know about comic books. And we're keeping the lights on for the oldies that uh, like to hear about the history of comic books uh, by some of their favorite creators. Hey, idea this week. I know normally we do that whole thing where we pick a book, read a book, and rate a book, uh, uh, similar to a mate style per system. But this week, why don't we change it up? What what do do you have in mind? Well, instead of me reading something, why don't we just publish those interviews we did from the Pittsburgh Three Rivers Comic Con a few weeks back? (laughs) Hold on. Is this just another excuse for you not to do work this week? No, no, no. Speaking of long boxes, I've been too busy reorganizing my long boxes to actually read anything this week. Because sometimes (laughs) you got to hit the pause button and do some maintenance. But you know what's great while you're organizing your long boxes? Creator interviews, which ah. we've already done, so I don't have to do this week. So yeah, let's do that. All right, all right. Well, you're right. We we still have these interviews that we never got to. A couple weeks ago, we did do an episode like this. It was very well received. A lot of people enjoyed us talking with Ron Friends and Matt Horak and Howard Chaikin. So yeah, let's go ahead and get some of those other interviews that we got from uh, Three Rivers Con here in Pittsburgh way back at the beginning of the summer. So first up, I think we've got some interviews from Patrick Olive. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yes. Olive like olive, but with F sounds. Ah, yes. And Brett Breeding. So, yeah, Death of Superman and all that. So let's go ahead and get to those interviews now. Hey, hey, this is Chad Smith from The Last Comic Shop here at the Three Rivers Comic Con. i uh, here with Patrick Olive. Thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Um, so I am familiar with your work your primarily through the untold tales of Spider-Man yes. and your work on Spider-Girl and even some of the Scooby Unleashed or Scooby Apocalypse, right. which was way out there. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, I love that series. And it's amazing how during the course of the show here, I have Spider-Man stuff in front of me and pinups and everything. Scooby Apocalypse gets more notice than almost anything else. People walk by, Scooby Apocalypse. Yeah, it, it's a it's a draw, and it's, it was a fun series. A fun series. Well, I can only imagine what this is like. Scooby Doo cross with The Walking Dead for the folks that aren't familiar with it. Yep. And yep. Uh, a perfect idea. <laughs> so there you go. So how did you get involved with something like that? Well, with Scooby? It, yeah. Well, basically, I had uh, I had just completed another project and uh, was uh, looking for some work, and I contacted an editor at DC who I've worked with in the past, and they said, well, hey, we need a couple of issues of uh, Scooby Apocalypse, we need need some fill-ins. Okay. I said, sure, that sounds like fine. It sounds like a really fine book. I did a couple of the uh, issues, and um, uh, they contacted me and said, we love what you're doing. Could you come on full-time? And I said, absolutely. So that's just kind of how it worked. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Now, let's get into the Spider-Man stuff, because that's... I love Spider-Man stuff, and so you and uh, Kurt Busiek were able to go back with the untold tales of Spider-Man and meticulously fit in stories in the Spider-Man history. Correct. What was that like? What was that process like? Like, how careful did you have to be? So, from my standpoint, it was a little bit easier because I basically had to kind of coordinate the visuals of it. Okay. 
where everybody, what, what they looked like and how, you know, uh, costume detail and all that kind of thing. Kurt was really the mastermind in the fitting in part. Okay. He was the one that, uh, that did all the background work to try to make sure that each story hit in the right spot in the current, in the continuity. He had those crazy person pin maps yeah, with the strings. And, and, yeah, exactly, with the, yeah, with the yarn and everything, all in his basement, I'm sure. Yeah. So this was perfect, and so he did all the all the, the heavy lifting. Okay. Uh, and then for, you know, for me, it was just more of a visual thing, making sure the characters look pretty similar, and all, you know, the costume and all that kind of stuff. Well, it wasn't just the traditional Spidey characters, although they did come into play a lot. They did. But there were a lot of characters. Did you have a hand in co-creating some of those? Uh... Oh, sure. I mean, there would be, you know, if, if Commando, or uh, you know some of the other ones. Those were the characters that Kurt, you know, would, would come up with, and then I would I would develop the look from that. So I would get a description, and then I would come up with the look for the character. Nice. Scorcher being my favorite. I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Now he's shown up in some modern books, hasn't he? I don't know. He might have. He might have. I've okay. heard some rumors, but I don't. I'm not you, sure. You don't keep up with that kind of stuff. No, nobody. Yeah, I, somebody tells me these things. I don't know if they're accurate or not. So, they, yeah, I think he should be in every story myself. That's awesome. And then I'm seeing your Spider-Girl work over there. That was another great story. Uh, we yes. were just talking with Ron Friends a little Oof. bit ago. That's some guy. <laughs> just some guy that's here. Uh, as Ron Friends is standing a foot away, ready to kick me again. Oh, hovering in the background. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. But uh, no, Spider-Girl, what was it yeah. like working on that series? It was so popular with the fans. Right, it was. And, that, and I think that was the, the really the gratifying thing about Spider-Girl. Not only was it a great character, and I was you know, privileged to be to work on it. I mean, Tom, the Falcon Ron French created the character. What if 105 started the whole thing? Right. And I was very fortunate to, to come on board. And that was one of the great things about the book. It was that the fans really gravitated to to their to her as a character, um, and they and they never they never really left. I mean, right. That was the thing about the book is that we were always at the edge of cancellation because we were always assuming that the, the sales would drop as most projects do. Right. And everything has a shelf life, and we would be ending at this issue or this issue, and. It never happened. The, the sales just leveled up and they stayed there. The fans were so loyal. They came back month after month after month. Well, the character was so accessible. I think and, so. And yeah. you guys got to play within the Spidey mythos. Right, and, right, right. You right. know, I, was there a lot of editorial intermingling? Were you guys no. free to... To it do was, what you wanted. I think I think it was uh, it was really DeFalco's world. I mean, and I think you know, and Ron did a lot of developing, uh, developing a lot of characters as well. So really, th that was the great thing about Spider Girl, which then became part of the, you know, the MC2 universe. Right. That we were really left alone to do what you know what we wanted to do, and uh, which was perfect because we got a chance, like you said play around with some of the Spider-Man mythos, but then develop our own characters, our own path, right? Uh, which was perfect. And you guys were just consistently putting out great books month after month after month, I think and that, that's really hard to do. And I think that was a big thing, too. And I think that there, there was a, you know, during that era, there were a lot of people that were, jump on a book, this is great, three months later, disappears. I mean, we wanted to really make sure that we were there every month, churning out, you know, book after book, so that the audience knew we were going to be there every month, they knew they were going to get a story every month, right? And they could then follow along as the story grew organically. Yeah, I know, and it's fantastic. Also, coming out an omnibus. I don't know if it's out yet or if it's coming out soon. I think it's. I don't know if it's out yet. But it, it's in the. I've seen the covers and the solicits yeah, 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 and everything yeah, else. So yeah, I'm hoping yeah. that does well too. Yeah, very. Maybe much strike so. a resurgence. Oh yeah, I mean the, the fact that there's still so many Spider Girl fans out there is really gratifying. Really. So. Yeah, that and Untold Tales, too, I think. Is yeah. What it, 
Yeah, it's been nice. I mean, I, that, that Zelda Spider-Man was, you know, 25 years ago now or something like that. And I still get people who sign, you know, signing books, Zelda Spider-Man copies. There you so, go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. So let's uh, fast forward a little bit yep. today. What are some projects you're working on currently? What, so, where can people find you? So right now I'm working on a project called Edgeworld. Okay. Uh, that's coming out from Comixology Originals. So our uh, first uh, arc uh, was out a little while ago. We have another arc that will be coming out. Our second arc will be coming out in a few months, I think. And uh, the trade for the first part will be coming out through Dark Horse uh, in August. Okay. So uh, right now, Edge Roll, Comixology Originals, that's where you can find it. There you go. Very cool. Yep. And look for that from Dark Horse here pretty soon yep, as yep, well. Yep, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, sir. We hope thank you have a great you. show, yep, and uh, thanks for all the fun stories. Yeah, thank you. It was great. All right, take care. Hi, this is Chad with The Last Comic Shop, and we are here at Three Rivers Comic Con with Brett Breeding. Mr. Breeding, sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Now, your career, you have touched on so many uh, impactful moments in superheroics, whether it's the black costume Spider-Man where you were there, or whether it was Death of Superman, showing his identity to Lois Lane. What are some of your favorite moments that you've been able to be a part of in the comic industry? Well, you just mentioned a couple of them. <laughs> the death of Superman certainly has followed me for the last 30 years and still has an impact on my life. Um, I mean, it's obviously what I'm most remembered for. But uh, I started out early in my career and as a background person for Bob Layton working on uh, his first run with David Michelinie of Iron Man. Okay, a classic run. So that Demon was, in the bottle and whatnot? Well, I came on after Demon uh, in a Bottle. I started around issue 133. Okay. But uh, the highlight of that for me was issue 150 when we did the story, or they did the story with uh, Dr. Doom. So Dr. Doom meeting Iron Man, you know, for the first time, having oh. that kind of one-to-one. -one. And they would continue those every every 100 issues or so, they check yeah, back in. They did a they did a nice job with that. It was a lot of fun to work on and a nice way to start my, you know, foray into comics. Shortly after that, I started working on my own, and I got to do things like first West Coast Avengers series and the first Hawkeye miniseries. I worked on the first series of Thundercats and the Gene DeWolf uh, storyline and the Spider-Man, Peter Parker. There you go with Peter David. So, yeah, it was one of his first writing assignments. And so there's a lot of key moments that at the time you didn't know were key moments. It was just an assignment. Right. But now when I go to shows, it's, uh, it's amazing just in the last couple of years how many Thundercats books people bring to sign. Like, I'd be surprised anybody remembered it, but not only do they remember it, it's very popular. Right. Uh, you know, uh, even the, the Thor lifting the hammer was, uh, or I'm sorry. Captain America. Captain America being Steve Rogers, he wasn't Captain America at the time, was my idea. So no way! I uh, gave that idea to Ron when we were working on the story, and, you know, it was like, we were having this battle and Thor was separated from the hammer and I said, you know, of all the characters in the Marvel Universe, wouldn't you think the one that is worthy is Steve Rogers? And he thought it was a great idea and bounced it off of Tom. Tom liked the idea, so they worked it into the story. I still think it was a great idea. It was a really fun issue to work on. 
and who knew, you know, 30 years later it would pop up in the biggest movie, of, you know, yeah, one of the it, biggest movies of all time. It was the number one movie you of know, all time, and, and was, that was the signature moment. Yeah, well, everybody in the theater I was in just went nuts, so oh, uh, I've heard that a lot. So, you know, at the time you're doing these things, you don't know what they're going to be down the road. Um, it does seem like I uh, touched uh, quite a number of keystone moments in those characters, so that's a, a lot of fun to look back on. Heck yeah, and you have worked with so many great creators, whether it's the George Perez or Ron Friends or you know, even doing your own work. Did you have a favorite that you like to work with and embellish over? Or? Well, Ron is probably consistently the person I you know have worked on off and on throughout my career and I do it because I enjoy working with him and I enjoy the work. So he's easy to collaborate with and and partner with on a, on a book. He gives you a lot of freedom and a lot of input and uh, a lot of support. But the work itself is fantastic and we, we have very similar influences so it's a collaboration that comes easy. I, I sit down and I know what to do with his stuff inherently. I, I know what he's going for when he puts lines down. I try to, you know, not just follow what's there, but try to give him what he expects. And right. It, it's been a good. A you good know the moves. I sought out early in my career wanting to work with George Perez, and that has always been a fun thing. When I finally did get to do some work with him on different points in my career. Yeah, I always uh, remember that great homage Superman cover you guys did. Whatever they came back to Action Comics. Well, he, he did the covers. I they, That's one thing. I oh, you, never got to work on the covers with George. George always did his own covers. Oh, and okay. on that Action Comics when he came back, one of the reasons I was hired was because I primarily spent my career as a finish inker. Right. So finish inkers work over breakdowns generally. Nowadays, it's pretty much editors don't even know what finishing is, a lot of them, because pencilers pencil so tight. Basically, okay. inkers really are just tracing the lines at this point. Back in the day, a lot of penciling was done as breakdowns so that the penciler could generate more work and you needed finish artists who could come in and finish the drawing to some degree. With George, he did not even want to do breakdowns. He just did like thumbnail type layouts. Okay. Um, I believe they were blown up on the boards initially one point when Terry Gamble came on, he did that step. But uh, so I was tasked with finishing the pencils and then inking. Wow! So it was kind of a, a daunting thing because, uh, well, there's there's examples here, and, and, and you won't be able to see this obviously on the podcast. But uh, I keep this in my portfolio because people don't necessarily know what inking is. So this is what George gave me. And oh this goodness. is what I had to turn it into. Yeah, the so, level of detail that you added there, like yeah, I mean, you have to complete thing, put things that aren't there, complete the drawing. And this is actually, you know, you'd find tighter faces, but then a lot of times it would be just little balloon heads with the eye. I mean, and it, right? I could still see the George in it, but there was nothing more than just the basic shapes. And even just looking so, at all the technology you had to. Imbue in there and that uh, giant so it was, robot. It was a lot of work, but it was a, a very rewarding and it was fun working with George. Um, I loved working with Kerry Gamble. I'm working again with Dan Jurgens. That's okay. been a comfortable partnership. 
you know, the list goes on. There, it'd probably be easier to list the people I didn't enjoy working on. <laughs> if you want to spill some tea, go ahead. Yeah, there are fewer of them. You know, <laughs> I've been very fortunate to, uh, you know, get partnered with people who I really like. And, you know, just because I like their work doesn't mean, uh, you know, I think we were a good fit. I mean, I worked with Tom Grummet on Man of Tomorrow for 10 issues. And I love Tom's stuff. I'm a huge fan of his work. Right. But I just don't think I'm a natural fit for him the way somebody like Dave Doug Hazelwood or Clark. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I hope I didn't change his work to, you know, that he didn't care for what I was doing because there was definitely the blend that I say like I have with Ron. Right. Uh, or what? even with Dan to some degree. I don't think they could ever fault you for your work uh, ethic. As the pages you're putting out are fantastic. And it is finding that right blend. But I, I do want to ask, just because you've been a part of so many moments, going back to that death of Superman, that, you know, I was 10 or 11 years old at the time, and that was the biggest thing. It was on the news. What was that like as a creator? Like, did you have people knocking on your door, sticking cameras in your face, or...? You know, it's a death of Superman. Everybody now seems to think they know what happened. Even back then, when it happened, it was planned, and you know, it's it just like it was such a fluke that we stumbled into. People don't realize Superman didn't sell back then. He was in cancellation numbers, and of course, you can't cancel Superman. He's the company's flagship title, so they pretty much left us all alone. And let Mike Carlin just do what he wanted with the creators he had. And he was lucky to get some really darn good creators working for him. I mean, Jerry Ordway and uh, oh, Harry Gamble was great, and, and, and Roger Stern, and, you know, uh, George Perez. And, you know, and then he added to that with people like, you know, Jurgens and, you know, Bob McLeod came in and uh, Louise and John Bogner. I mean, he just had some really talented people to work with. And that whole and we team were atmosphere. Left alone. Uh, well, he created, Carlin created that with the summits, where he would, okay. have, he would include the anchors and the colorists, which was unheard of before. You know, so all of us would be pulled together and were allowed to contribute ideas. Basically, that issue 75 was originally plotted in our story meetings to be the wedding issue. And what happened was, at the la almost the last minute, that had to be changed because the Lois and Clark TV show. Yeah, and a so, lot of the run, you guys did the revealing the identity to right. Lois, and I think well, the TV show, was that a part it, of that as it well? Kind of, no, it kind of started off, we, we were doing a lot of story arcs, but they would never give us trade paperbacks because Superman didn't sell. They're not going to sell. So we had the Red Kryptonite saga, we had the time after time saga. I mean, we had all these nice story arcs that were perfect for, and have since been compiled. But uh, but it was growing numbers and people, you know, we were creating a solid fan base. And then, you know, we had the uh, proposal to Lois and that had a blip that got media attention. Right. Little blip. And then, you know, a little while later we had the reveal of his identity to Lois. Again, another blip in the media, you know. So we were doing things that were not only good and, and being received well by fandom, but also the media, you know, critics and stuff were seeing the stuff. But we still weren't doing X-Men numbers. Right. And but so when you were they, bringing people into comic shops, though. Um, like... Yeah, I mean, Superman was, it was a good product. It was solid in every way. And 
hey, uh, when they called us in for the meeting and we had to come up with an idea, it was a joke at the time, but you know, Jerry Ordway or someone else would often say, let's, when we were stuck for ideas, let's just kill him. <laughs> in this particular meeting, Jurgen showed up with a, an idea for wanting a villain that could go toe to toe with Superman in a physical way instead of a mental powers or magic. Right. And, you know, Jerry made that same, you know, joke again when we were stuck. And somehow that conflated into, well, why don't we have this guy Dan? Let's create kill him. You know, and then Carlin was like, okay, you know, then what? So then it snowballed. And it was like, well, then we could do the effect of, you know, funeral right. for a friend. It's not just a one issue thing, but will they even let us do it? And ultimately they did. And we just figured people would buy it and, you know, and hopefully they would enjoy it. Right. The day it came out, no one knew. I was on CNN that morning because the comic shop I was scheduled to go in for a signing was contacted. And the craziness that day was like, it, it was like being a Beatle. Oh, you know, I can only imagine. I was, I was at a mall in Philadelphia, which at the time was like one of the largest malls in the country. And this comic shop was right on the food court. And people couldn't eat because the entire food court was shoulder to shoulder with people wanting to get comics. Oh, yeah. And all four major news organizations, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox were all there. And the Fox guy in particular, oh, I know, you know, he kept telling me how much he knew Paul Levitz. So okay. this was all planned. You know, and you're going you're gonna to bring it back. And, and I'm like, oh, you know, Paul Levitz had nothing to do with this. I was in the story meetings. <laughs> Right now, we're ceasing publication until we figure out what to do next. Which was true because it was discussed quite seriously at the time that maybe this is a point where we bring Superman back at some point as someone different or something different okay. and start over because what we had wasn't selling. Maybe yep. people would be interested in a total revamp. Was the, the genesis there for the four Superman? <coughs> no. The Superboy steal that sort no, of thing? that wasn't there yet. Okay. So the next step was Funeral for a Friend, which became a lot more viable, made a lot more sense at that point because we had at that point seen the reaction right in the real world. It was the biggest thing. <coughs> the Jesus. biggest thing. So in the real world, people were, oh, missing Superman. And right. that was the story in the comics. So it really was a reflection of what was really going on. And through that, it was like, you know, we're going to have to, bring him back and I think people care now <laughs> yeah you obviously. see how much a fictional character matters right. to people so we should probably keep but how are we going to do it so that was the next meeting okay you know and when we all got together it was like well what should we do and it's like you know Dan said well I got this character I think this would be cool and Louise and Bob said, well we were thinking about this guy and, 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 and you know, uh, Roger had his idea for the Raticator and Mike Arlen was just like why don't we just do them all? <laughs> well, each of you can do your version, and we'll figure out what we do, where we go later. If one is good, four is better. So, you know, it's Monday morning quarterbacking is always easy. Everybody looks back and goes, oh, they planned this, or they know it right. was a plan. We, we were going step by step and making it up as we went. That's so incredible to me, just because of the way the triangle system worked and how many people had to be involved with each yeah. title. And uh, yeah, well, the Mike Carlin doesn't out. get enough credit because he held everybody together, and he was the glue that kept it all running. You know, he uh, the oil that kept the machine, you know, running, hopefully smoothly. Probably yes. not all the time, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 but we had a creative team that we liked each other. We traveled to these things a lot and, and did 
social things a lot together on these trips. So, you know, we bonded as a unit and we all liked each other, respected each other's work, and it was just a great bunch of people. So we felt like a team. And that's not to say there weren't conflicts and people wanting right. to do different and stuff. Creative people have uh, creative right. ideas. So. Um, but there wasn't any kind of animosity or it's, you know, got to be my way or the, you know, everybody was. Some more so than others were team players. Okay. You know, but we all managed to work as a team on this stuff, again, led by Mike Carlin. And it worked. It, it just went. And we all had, I, I think, a vision, if not a similar vision of the characters, a similar goal of doing what, the best thing for the characters. Right. And so everyone was receptive to other people's ideas and trying to, you know, mash it all together. And so it was, it was kind of like a, a stew, you know? Everybody threw a little something in. and I mean, You get the you best know, work that way sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it was, I don't think we'll ever see that kind of books created that way again in comics. It, uh, it was just very unique, and it's, it's what made those titles what they were. Absolutely super. Well, I have one last question, because I've taken up uh, a generous fine. portion of your time here. You've been part of so many of these different super important moments in the culture. But for you personally, do you have a personal work that stands out that you're like, if I want to show somebody the best of Brett Breeding, this is the issue that I hand them, or this is the trade, Well, this is the story? I mean, I'm proud of what we did on Death Superman. I'm proud of Superman 75. I, you know, I did the inking a little differently, basically because of where comics were at the time. I did some things I wouldn't normally do, but, you know, with all splash pages and stuff, you get to open up. So it was an opportunity to try to do your best work. I'm proud of the work I did with Ron on our run of Thor, even though it wasn't as long as I would have liked. Avengers Next was a book we did for a line of comics called MC2. Yeah, the m 2 yeah. And I absolutely, I don't know what it was about that work and, and Ron, but just th things really flowed well. And I look back at that as some of my favorite work. You know, I'm kind of always changing what I'm doing and to, to the artist or... Right, playing with my style and a certain at that amount point, of your job where you have to be adaptable yeah and sometimes it's just changing the tools and you know some people don't realize this but you know if you ink a job with a brush or you ink a job with a pen and depending on what pen it, it can all have a different feeling it can still be the same style but you know I mean those of us that do it can recognize oh that that guy was doing this with a brush and that right. guy was, you know so when I would change tools, my work would change a little bit. I was doing more pen work on the A-Net stuff, but I was just really clicking with Ron on that stuff. I loved it. Avengers is what got me into comics. John Buscema and Tom Palmer's run in the 60s. I always loved those characters. So to do the next generation of those characters with Ron, who is influenced by John to begin with, right. you know, it was like... Wow, I am just loving this on every level. So, I'm, but a lot of people don't know what that is. It was obscure stuff that didn't last. Right, that long. there's a Spider Girl. I think is the the remnant from that that a lot of people still. Yeah. Now a lot of people you know, will ask about you know Amazing Fifty Two, the Two Fifty Two, because of the black costume, and you know it's one of those things that it's a place in history. But I'm not really proud of my work in that. I was I, I was kind of still new in comics. First time I got to work with Ron, he was also new. You know, we, we didn't you know know each other's stuff that well. And I think both of us will admit we weren't doing our best work on it. I was not allowed to do the backgrounds at the time because of the editor. So uh, it, it was a very limiting experience. And I look back at it now and I go, 
it's a shame because as important as this book is, I wish I took more pride in it. But, but it's a stepping uh, stone. A lot of the you Superman need all those stuff. Moments. I love the stuff I did with Cary Gamble on Superman. He is still one of my favorite Superman artists. Oh, nice. Um, so looking back at that stuff, uh, my early, because I was on Superman for 10 years, that, that earlier stuff they did, there's a lot in there that I really, I still look at and I go, wow, I really, this is nice. Okay. Uh, Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great show. Yeah, I think that was more than 10 minutes. It, then, it was. My you know, I, 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 now I talk too much. I know. I was just having fun <laughs> listening to the story, sir. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Yeah, I remember Death of Superman. I kind of liked it. But I really liked was the return of Superman when you had the four Supermen. Superman. <laughs> Supermans. The four Supermans. Did I ever ask you, J.A., what was your favorite? Who was your favorite of the ones that they came back with? The, the, the robot Superman, I think. Oh. Because he had like oh, yeah, half a face and he kind of looked, it was kind of like DC's Borg. There you go. Not the Eradicator. He was the guy with the sunglasses. He was my favorite. Last son of Krypton. Yeah. The best part about that whole thing uh, from the, that I learned from that interview, that was not like a well thought out plan. <laughs> Like, they're just doing this stuff as they go. Like they killed Superman, and they're like, yeah, 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 we'll figure it out. Uh, what I love is they like they killed Superman. I was like, hey, and then they come in the next Monday. Now what? Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, we've got some more interviews right after this commercial break. We've got a wonderful one with Rick Leonardi, as well as the fantastic anchor Wayne Foucher. So stay tuned for more Last Comic Shop and these great interviews right after these commercial breaks. Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries of sleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies, digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. All right, so here we're, we're here at the Three Rivers Con with Wayne Foucher. Wayne, we've talked to you in the past, and it's yes. always been a wonderful, wonderful conversation, but... You know in the last comic shop that we'd like to promote people getting into comic books. And a lot of times we talk about the artists, and a lot of times folk, people focus on the pencilers. 
but you are an inker by trade. And That's over the me. 30 years of inking comic books, you've inked a lot of people. So how did you get into inking? Like, how, Where did your passion for inking come about from? Uh, when I was a kid, I, I used to I used to go to shows here and there, some in uh, in New York City, and um, I was at a show once there, and I one of my big guys was Gil Kane. I loved Gil Kane, and I had a number of his pages. I still have them, and so I, I was looking for Gil Kane pages, and I found I found a page from What If number three, and in fact this dealer had a bunch of them, uh, and I was like looking through them, and I thought I know this is Gil Kane. But there was something different about it, so I bought one and I brought it home, and I was looking at it and I, and I was comparing it to, to the uh, 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 Sonat inks and the other inks uh, that I had over Kane, and I realized that it was the inker, and it was Klaus Jansen uh, who, who had inked What If Number Three, and it was I had an epiphany. I realized what an inker can do for a penciler or to a penciler. Uh, and I just loved it. I just I thought, oh my God, this, this is what an inker can do. It, this is possible. And so I mean, I, I did. It wasn't then that I thought about inking, but it was then that I really became aware of inking. I, I really never thought about it um, yeah. uh, before that because I was a dumb kid, you know. I didn't, I didn't know. Are there any other inkers that, uh, as you got through the industry, you were like, oh, that that guy, that person's work was was really good, other than Klaus? Oh. I mean, you know, I, I, I love Klaus. I Dick Giordano, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, created modern inking. I, I had a chance to ink uh, over his pencils once, and it was a nerve-wracking experience. Because I knew, this. if anybody knew inking, it was Dick Giordano. Right! Uh, so I, I inked him over, uh, uh, it was a DC book, Birds of Prey, Wolves, it was called. Okay. And it got back to me later that he really liked what I had done. I, I thought it was a it was a train wreck. But, uh, That's a heck of a compliment, though, to get uh, praise from Giordano. His assistant came up to me at a con, and he said, you know, did, did you ink this book? And I said, yeah. He said... Dick really loved it, and I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, so that yeah, it, it was kind of nice to hear because, like, as I said, I thought I kind of destroyed it, but <laughs> he was okay with it apparently. I have to apologize for my voice. I've been hollering for like the last day and a half. Oh, that's yeah. okay. Uh, another question I have is: when you get pencils from various people, um, is it all kinds? Like, are they like partly finished, fully finished? Like, like it. I guess that's the, the question. Like, when you get the work, like, how much embellishing do you need to do? It depends on the penciler. It depends totally on the penciler. There are some guys like a, like a, a Mike McCone or a Don Kramer or, you know, somebody like that where it's, you could just, like, trace it, essentially. I mean, that's the old joke. But for guys like that, you could trace it. There's a little bit of stuff here and there, textures and whatnot, that, that you can add for those kind of guys. And then there are other guys where it's just really loose. I mean, I, I, I just inked um, uh, Mark Bagley, and, um, and not the entire page, but certain areas were, were, were loose, and, and that allows you for a little more interpretation. And I mean, it demands some interpretation. Right. Um, you have to answer some questions. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. You get yeah. that creative freedom and creative responsibility yeah. to fill that yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, Mark's, Tighter than a lot, I, 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 and then I think guys like in a totally different direction that, that are so loose that you you can't even tell what you're doing. <laughs> but I'm not gonna name that. Right? No, no. 
but, but do you enjoy the challenge of that when you get things that are a little bit loose and you have that creative freedom I, to kind of put I, your stamp on it a little bit more? You know, I mean, uh, I inked a guy uh, named uh, Alberto Ponticelli on Frankenstein Agent of Shade, uh, and I did that for a while. And it was some of the most fun I ever had because I could do, like, looser inks. Okay. His stuff was all there, but it, it just, it, it, it really called for something a little looser, a, a little sketchier, and I really, really enjoyed that. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, to a point, you enjoy it, and then it gets to a point where you're like, what the hell am I drawing this for? Uh, I, you know? Well, one of the other questions, last question I have for you, Wayne, is yeah. uh, I always ask this. What was the fastest turnaround time on an on a inking job that you ever had? Yeah. I probably shouldn't confess this. <laughs> uh, Chris Pacello was doing a uh, uh, Emma Frost book, and it was beautiful. I mean, all his stuff is beautiful. It doesn't matter how, how fast it goes, but uh, he, he tends to call in a lot of inkers, and, and I happen to be on his wrecking crew of inkers. And um, so I was scheduled to do certain pages, and I did them. And then he, he's the only penciler that has my phone number. And, and he, he, <laughs> On speed dial. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't give that out. But to him I did, and he texted me, and, and he said, uh, can you handle another page? And I was like, uh, I was like, oh, God, sure. I mean, I can handle a Chris Michello page anytime. And um, I said, uh, I said, how fast do you need it? He, he said, one hour. <laughs> wow! And I said, I said, oh. Okay, um, I said, well, let me see it. I'm, I'm not going to make any promises till I see it. So he, he he emailed it to me, and I looked at it, and I said, uh, okay, uh, man, you, you know, it's it's, it's it, 10.30 in the morning now. You'll have it by 11.30. So I did it. I inked it in an hour. It was a pretty simple page. It, okay. It, it, it came out fine. I, I, I spotted all the blacks in Photoshop. I didn't try to paint them in, you know, in, the, in that amount of time. Right. And um, I turned it in an hour later. And I, as God is my witness, he was coloring it himself. A half an hour after I inked it, it was colored too. Wow! So uh, apparently he, he he had some miscommunication with the guy that was supposed to ink it, <laughs> and it just it hadn't happened. So he just like grabbed me, right? Uh, which is like I said, it was it was kind of, it was fine. If nothing else, I'm fast apparently. So he knows that. <laughs> it was just that rush of creativity on all like, Oh my God, he's yeah. coming into the page. You Sometimes that eleventh hour stuff yeah. will just, but it great gives you a great story. Like, I still have the page too. Yeah, it's uh, great stuff. So uh, yeah, Wayne, your work is just always so great. Whether you work with somebody like a, a Bachelo or an Umberto Ramos or Chris Bautista, like you always seem to manage to respect and enhance the styles. It's just. It's great to have a chance to talk to you today. Oh, yeah, thanks. absolutely. Thanks. Have thanks a great work. rest of your show, Wayne. If and I don't lose my voice, totally, yeah. <laughs> and thank you so much for being on The Last Comic Shop. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you. All right. Hey, hey, we are here at the Three Rivers Con with Rick Leonardi, that wonderful artist that has done so much great work over the past 30 years of being in the business, maybe 30 years plus even, almost. But my, yeah. My 40. <laughs> wow! Uh, really quickly, that's where I want to start, uh, Rick, is uh, again, we like to talk to folks and see you know, how they got started in the industry, what were their influences when it came to, did you read comic books when you were a, a, a younger man? Yes, my, my first comic book that I ever, ever, ever read was uh, Star Spangled War Stories 139. <laughs> <laughs> 
episode of Enemy Ace. Okay. So the first, the answer to the question, who's the, who's the first comic book penciler I was ever aware of? The answer is Joe Kuber. Okay. Place to start. No, it isn't. Not at all. It's a little raggedy getting into the series. I find now going back and looking at all the reprints. Right. But by 139, he was smoking. That was gorgeous, gorgeous art. Still is. Um, well worth anybody looking it up. So did you follow Joe when you were younger? Like, did you? Were you one of those people that found because you liked no, his art? Like, I, I mean, I was young enough not to really, not to really have kind of glommed on the whole idea of like superstar pencilers. Okay. And in fact, the whole idea of a, a superstar penciler really hadn't been created yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're still waiting for Jim Steranko to show up. Right. Adams, but. You know, and I and I would argue that the two of them really created the whole idea of a, you know, a name creator that's worth following, whose product is distinguishable from everybody else. Right. That's. Um, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I discovered your work as a young man too, like nine, ten years old, and your style always stood out. I always knew when I had a Rick Leonardi book, even if I didn't know your name, like you could tell. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's that guy from the X Men, or oh, that's that that guy from that Daredevil well, which issue. Is, which is an interesting thing to hear because I don't really think I have a style per se. I think what I what I do is, and this is a this is a function of the, the era that I came up in and the training that I got from editors. Mm -hmm. It's like the prime directive <laughs> is to tell the story. You have to tell the story. Okay. Everything is everything is subservient to you know making things as clear as possible for the reader who doesn't have the benefit of what the writer has put down in terms of plot or anything. The writer's got his hot flash of inspiration and everything is clear to him, but the reader right. is lost. Okay, and well it goes without only, saying, well, the, your storytelling chops are undeniable, I mean, yeah. after 42 years. And, uh, one of the personal highlights for me too was your Spider-Man 2099 stuff, where that yeah. was the first time... I'd missed out, I think, on Cloak and Dagger. Oh. But you were the regular on the book, and I got uh, Leonardi art month in and month out. Well, what helps. was that experience like? It helps. Yeah, it helps. working it. with Peter David. Working with Peter David. <laughs> working uh oh. With Peter David. <laughs> no, he's, you know, Peter, I get this question sometimes from you what's it like working with various writers? You know, right. Tell, tell us about how to distinguish one writer from another. Right. Kind of thing. You know, some things are kind of obvious. Chris. Claremont was so wholly invested in, in the X-Men properties. I mean, he subsumed his, his actual real life into the writing part of his life and kind of vanished in a way as, mm -hmm. as a personality into the, into the X-Men. Um, so that when you got scripts from him, they were like volumes. It was all his backstory. And this, you knew exactly why everything was happening. And it was like, do I really need all this? It's cool. But they <laughs> Age would be a kitchen sink exercise. Do you really want all of this? Okay. But it was great training. Contrast that to Chuck Dixon, for example, who's, who's maybe because he's got snake bit by pencilers in the past asking too many questions, only tells you exactly what you need to know and nothing else. Okay. He doesn't want you, you know, kibitzing and looking over his shoulder saying, What if we did shot? <laughs> And then you got guys like Bill Mantlo, who was, uh, he was, he would start by turning on the TV or reading the newspaper or getting outraged at something that he'd seen, mm -hmm. and that would be the plot. And you, you, had to, you had to sign on to his agenda and go, and nine times out of ten that was, that was easy to do, because it was like, I was outraged, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of the questions I did have for you is yeah. working with Bill because, yeah. you know, unfortunately, you know what happened with Bill, but so yeah. he hasn't been able to, you know, give interviews and things like that. So no, I just, no. that was really what I wanted to ask was, uh, you know, when you were kind of working on Cloak and Dagger with Bill, did he come with that agenda of like, we want to talk about, I don't know, teenage runaways or yeah. or things like that. Like, yeah, I, I was, he was very passionate about at, that. At, at some point there, he was putting himself through law school. And I think he became, you know, as a sideline, he became a public defender. Okay. Uh, I mean, he was he was a total hippie in that, in that regard. One of the first books I ever I ever drew was a Spider-Man issue that had that was all about gun control. And it's like, what's changed? Tell me what's changed. So what's yeah. Changed? Yeah, so that's Bill. Oh, all right. those issues that were of the time ended up being more timeless than we hoped. Yeah, exactly. But back to Peter David? Back to Peter David. So Peter David. <laughs> Peter David's thing is he's he will drag a story three or four pages out of its way to tell a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? And it's like, okay, I'm with you. But that's Peter Dave. I mean, he is just, he's really kind of full of himself. And, you know, if you're into it, great. But it's all about time. His stage, should I say this? His stagecraft is terrific. <laughs> <laughs> Left, right, foreground, background. Ah, it doesn't matter. Just give me space for balloons. That gives you a lot of creative freedom, then. Right. Right. On those right. Books. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. why I ended up with such a great finished product. That's the way to look at it. Well, thank you so much for taking some time with us today, Rick, and and and. and gracing us with some of these stories of some of the folks that you've worked with over the years. Uh, are, are you working on anything currently? or? Um, I just wrapped a graphic novel. Um, 160 pages. Wow! Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's coming out. It's probably going to come out next February. Okay. Uh, we were hoping to have it out in time to kind of match up with the release of Top Gun 2 because it's a military story and it's got F-14s in it. Okay! But we were too slow. Um, so it's coming out from the U.S. Naval Institute Press. They have a, a graphic novel imprint, sub-imprint, uh, called Dead Reckoning. Okay. And they're putting it out. Yeah, so we still have DVD release, Blu-ray release time. That's right. That's true. Hit that Top Gun market. That's so yeah, it's uh, but it's it's a it's a military story with a super hell, a superhero element in it. Um, I don't think I've ever read anything quite like it. So okay, I, I've got a, I'm kind of pleased with it. Yeah, we'll have to check it out once it comes out. But thank you so much, Rick, for taking some time with sure. us today and uh, stopping by the last comic shop. All right, have a great show, sir. You guys too. So Andrew. The fact that I made you read all that Spider-Man 2099 came really handy with that interview there. It did, I won't lie. I mean, it was good homework going into that interview with Rick. Uh, I, I really did enjoy talking with him. And uh, I, again, I, I, I think the best part about it was uh, Chad had found in like a, a dollar bin or something, these wonderful cloak and dagger drawings that he did. And uh, to get those ones signed, right, Chad? It was in a dollar bin, right, Chad? No, it wasn't in a dollar bin. <laughs> it, was, it was in the basement of a local Pittsburgh comic shop, and they were actually promotional prints for retailers. But I was able to pick up a pack 
and they have these wonderful cloak and dagger images on there. And there, there was almost Spider-Man that we were able to get signed. And just some really great, beautiful Rick Leonardi stuff. Chad wants to dispel the rumor that all he does is shop at dollar bins and ollies. <laughs> right. Sometimes I spend as much as $3 on comic books out of the long boxes. Good gravy. Well, we hope that you don't spend a lot of money listening to The Last Comic Shop because we don't charge any for it. It's always free, and you can get those free uh, podcasts and comic book reviews and recommendations by just going out to our website every single week, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all of those episodes, past and present, and they are evergreen, so Go back and listen to some great ones, uh, you know, from from the past. If you missed having a comic book review this week, we got tons of them. Uh, And you can rate, review, and subscribe out there, as well as check out our link to YouTube, as well as check us out on social media. Where, Chad? At Last Comic Shop uh, on Twitter and Instagram, where you can find our weekly polls that Jay puts up. You could find our daily factoids. You could find what we're picking up at the comic shop. You could find... Uh, Golden Age covers to tuck you in at night before you go to bed. Uh, All sorts of stuff is waiting for you on social media. And if you need those uh, links, you can always find them back at the home base at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where they can also find what else, J.A.? Links to our merch store, where you can get T-shirts and mugs and tote bags for all the comics you pick up in the dollar bin. Or at Comic-Cons. I mean, it's still Comic-Con season. It will be well Comic-Con season all the way through, you know, the end of this year. We're hoping to maybe get to New York Comic-Con this year. Uh, So maybe we'll have some more interviews from there uh, coming up on a future show. But yeah, if you love comic books, you owe it to yourself if you've never been. Check out uh, a Comic-Con near you. It's a great experience. I know we had a great time at Three Rivers Con. uh, And it really does show you that there's something for everybody out there. So, yeah, get out there, get traveling, check out those cons. Yeah, and we hope that you check out The Last Comic Shop next week. Until then, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott. And we hope that you stay safe, stay cool, and remember, it's always nice talking with people. It really is, because it beats the alternative, which is just standing there in silence. (laughs) Sometimes I like the silence. Do you? I think it's awkward as hell. (laughs) Awkward and nice. People just think you're like a creeper. Just oh, are you are you doing anything here? No, I just want to look at you. It reminds me of when I was working in DC. Uh, I always got the first train when I was interning. I always got the first train in the morning, and you see the same people because it's always the first train of the day. You see the same people every day. We never talk to each other, but you always you always stand in the same car. People are just creatures of habit. Oh. There's the guy who's who's going to construction because his boots are all, you know, yeah. messy, but he's got brand new, beautifully laundered jeans on. So obviously he hasn't done his work yet for the day. And there are the people who are going into their office jobs because they've got their big mug of coffee. Yeah. And, and the, Hey, where's but, Scarf Lady? Exactly. She's usually right over there. <laughs> she just Wasn't her name Nancy? <laughs> I could really relate to the beginning of that, um, that old Liam Neeson movie where he's on the, the commuter. I just didn't have a special set of skills. I don't know, wasn't it? <laughs> the last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.